Tell one of my favorite guests we have because I love talking big picture stuff <laughs> that all starts with the very simple thing of what you yourself believe. God forbid we talk about that sort of thing. He's a great writer. He's also a pastor up in the Minneapolis St. Paul area. Dennis Saunders, great to have you back on the program, sir. How are you? It's good to be back. It has been a while. It's been way too long, my friend. Yeah. Um, folks will notice you uh, and your voice because they hear your various podcasts and stuff. Uh, we're happy to platform and advertise those right here. You just did, um, this started out as a sermon and then you wrote a piece about it and then you were talking about it on your podcasting stuff too. This is a big picture thing, but I think it gets to the heart of a lot of the politics. You're talking about a lack of hope that people have. Now, I could lay out a lot of charts here in a hurry how things have changed over the last, let's just take my lifetime, last 20, 30, 40 years. Church attendance is down. Civic organization participation is down. Cultural strife is up. Mm -hmm. Political discord is up. Those four things are connected. There's nobody that's going to convince me that those aren't connected. And it's not that everybody has to go to church, although, you know, we, we share a faith and that sort of thing. Civic organization, a church, something. You know, psychology talks about having that third place, not home and not work, that is part of your identity, that gives you, you know, a good tripod of support on who you are as a person. That sort of stuff gets to you talking about hope because I think as we see our politics get more and more out of hand, I think people are going to politics and culture for that third thing, and it's not having good repercussions for our country. Is is that kind of where you're seeing this as well? Yeah, it is. I think one of the things that I've really been noticing a lot lately um, is a lack of hope. We, and, and that's different from optimism. You know, I think hope is a belief in really in a future that we can't see right now. But is but we believe that will happen, and you know I think there was a time, I think it's just been very American in our culture, to be a hopeful people. We believe that things can get better, that things will be better. Um, you have whole movements that were centered on hope. I think the civil rights movement was a belief in hope, um, hope that there was that could be. Um, equality um, between blacks and whites and and other groups. And the thing that I've noticed so much in our day-to-day thing today is that there isn't that sense of hope that things can get better. Um, There's a lot of what I would say is despair. Um, And, you know, there has been despair that I think we've talked about. If you think about the whole... um, depths of despair that people have talked about, like Angus Deaton. I think that that is happening, especially among the working class. Um, but I think that, that that sense of despair is happening everywhere. Um, 
for different reasons, but it's it's there. It's a sense that things won't get better. Things that and this kind of and I think that then leads to cynicism. Um, and when we kind of make, as you've talked about, these lack of third place or the lack of third places, and then trying to make things like politics and culture that third place, is that in some ways it's putting the cart before the horse. Um, because politics, I don't think, can by itself bring hope. And in fact, you can get so mired into politics that it, it becomes despair or cynicism. And it's about how you can prevent the other side from um, doing what they're doing. Then it is about how do we have hope that things can get better, that the other side also has something worth listening to, and that we can work towards something that can create a better future. And I think that that has been, that is missing in our, in our American, especially American discourse. And I think that that has, to me, dire implications for our society. Yeah, Dennis Sanders joining us. You have a great point in here. Um, you quote some theologian on this, but this is such a good point because it says, and this is in his Substack. We're going to link to his Substack. Make sure you subscribe to that. I do. Um, instead of ex- extrapolating the present, hope is about a future that has nothing to do with the present. Mm-hmm. That's a that's a quote from the piece and from the theologian Ruff. The problem is, politics and culture war is the exact opposite of that. It's all yep. about the present. It's taking yes, it the is. present and looking outward. This this is the definition of looking through the world through the wrong end of the telescope. It it blurs it. It distorts it. It makes things that are further away seem closer than they are and vice versa. When I read that quote, that's where I get into this thing with hope is like, no, your hope, you know, I don't want to get overly spiritual here, but there's a Bible verse for this, you know, faith, the things that are not seen, that thing beyond this present moment. Mm-hmm. We we had a term in the military a lot. We talked about guys that are just ate up. Like they, they just can't see anything other than that thing right in front of them all the time, whether it's ambition or whatever, they're just ate up with it and they can't get past it. And there's so much of that in our politics. And I think it comes from this very concept right here is that, and you talked about hope just a minute ago, hope cannot be whatever the immediate issue is or whatever your immediate feeling or your immediate emotion or your immediate pain level or your immediate joy. Joy can take you down a bad path in a hurry too, if you don't keep it in proper context. And that quote really hit it for me. It's like, so much of what's wrong with politics is when you just lose that perspective of, no, you're just stuck in the moment and you can't get out of it. Yeah, I think we have a problem with presentism. We are stuck in what what we can see um, and not really in kind of what I would say is a transcend, because I think hope is transcendent. It, it's something beyond ourselves and it's beyond what is the present. And right now, I think both of our politics, whether that's liberal or conservative, is only stuck in the present moment. We can't see beyond that. And what happens, I think, when you can't see that there can be something better, that there can be there's other ways to do things is that you start to, well, see the other side, not necessarily as a a fellow person, but as the enemy, it's, 
willingness to kind of do what you can to win at all costs. It doesn't matter, you know, whether whatever kind of things are constitutional or not. It it just becomes this kind of winner take all game. And I think that that is something that in some ways is a little different for us as Americans, because I think in the past we have always been a hopeful people. I mean, we've always been an optimistic people, but I think we've also been very much a hopeful people that things could get better, that there is a better future out there that we can't necessarily see. I think that it's that hope that would allow people um, to immigrate from places um, and other parts of the world to come and and to uh, be a part of America. And that is gone. And when you have that, it becomes our politics, I think, becomes a lot more rougher and meaner. Um, and as I say in the article, at least in, in the when I the added a, a new part to it, I think in some ways the loss of hope um, on all sides is why we have people like Donald Trump um, is that it's it's a it's a reflection of our culture and where we are right now. Adam Sanders joining us. Let, let, let's go to your own background because, look, I come from West Virginia. That went blue dog to red Trump in a big old hurry. Mm-hmm. Um, you're a Flint, Michigan. You, you've come from a good union family, you mm-hmm. know, my aunt would have said growing <laughs> up, right? Flint, Michigan, um, auto workers. You've seen it, your family, your friends, those old union folks, those old blue collars, what used to be, you know, the core of of working class America and of the democratic party and politics, they're just gone. Yep. And the, and the next generation that came behind them are the ones that are older now and left. There's bitterness. There's, they don't understand why the world changed. We've seen, like, I don't condone it, but I get it. Like I see how the path got dark, but was, where's the line of blame there where you drove off? What part of it is this is environmental and what part of it is individualistic of, okay, you got to take some responsibility for even though these are in bad times. That's a big question. But if you're going to throw up the, well, why did Donald Trump turn the Rust Belt out? And then the Rust Belt turned on him again and he lost. This is the stuff you got to talk about. It's not just the politics and the policies. People react Mm-hmm. And they react with their vote. And you have yeah. to understand why they're reacting without trying to put a big, broad brush on the reaction, because if they reacted to that, they're going to react to the next thing, too. Is that a fair way to lay it out beyond just the politics and the ideology of it? It is. I think it is. You know, I think part of the problem in our culture over the last, I would say, 30, 40 years or so, we have there have been a lot of changes in American society, especially American culture, but in the American economy. And I think that we haven't always done a good job of helping people who are going through that change, weather that change. And 
when people have to basically deal with all these changes and they're dealing with kind of, you know, loss of job, um, loss of, of economic opportunity, loss of other things that are happening, that has an impact on people. Um, and that is, you know, when those things are, are, are pulled away, when, when community crumbles um, and, when we have kind of people, and this is people, are people on both parties that don't really address those changes and don't basically want to deal with some of those things and instead just kind of focus only on the individual part. And I think the individual part is, is a factor there, so I don't want to rule that out. But if we don't focus on that, or if we only focus on the individual part, but don't focus on how do we help people kind of weather the change? How do we help people maintain their hope? They're going to lose that hope. And what happens is when you lose that hope, then people look for people who basically are, are, are cynical and will tell them, well, this is why it's happening. It's those people who are the problem. And I'm the one that can can help you. And I'm the one that tells the truth. That's how you get people like Trump. And I think, you know, it's it's interesting. Last week there was an um, and I'm actually writing on this now, a, a, a very fascinating op-ed by David Brooks, um, where he really wonders and, and has questioned if those of us who are opposed to Trump are what he would say is the bad guys. And and what he was trying to get at was that people in his class, and I guess probably I would say my own class, uh, have not paid attention to a lot of the cultural and economic changes that have happened. And, you know, they want to think that the reason people vote for Trump is just simply because they're, they're bigots. And he's saying, that's not all, that's, not all of the the reasons, and we need to pay attention to that. And when we don't pay attention to that, when people and people end up losing hope, and I think that, that is what causes things like the rise of Trump. And I think that that is what can put our democracy in danger. Um, Trump is the result of problems. He is not the problem itself. And that means that we have to look at what is causing this, what are causing people to make these decisions. Um, and that doesn't mean that they don't have any agency or that they don't have any blame, but it does mean that we have to understand why this is happening. Because if we don't, then we're just going to end up in the same situation, if not worse. Yeah, Dennis Saunders joining us. I'm glad you brought up the Brooks thing because a lot of people gravitated to that, both for and against it. Mm-hmm. I agree with wide swaths of it. I don't think he's lying, but I think it fell short on a couple of things. And one of the mm. things that fell short was, and nothing against David Brooks personally, look, he's been a lightning rod for a long time because he's that guy. So, yep. to, you know, he, he's like Walmart. He's just kind of the big name out there. He's going to get all the slings. Where it falls short, though, is there were people telling the David Brookses of the world, hey, this is happening and you're mm-hmm. not paying attention to it. And they didn't listen. No, and I and then there's the other side of this that falls flat of, you know, and I I don't want to rehash 40, 50 years of conservative agitprop here, but 
no, the hippies did not make the family unit fall apart. And no, like, no, that's, that's there. There's a certain style. I hate to use this word, but I don't have a better word for it. The elite commentary. And by elite, I don't just mean rich and famous. I mean, the people that swim in those circles, like Mm -hmm. I can put a shirt and tie on and go to the think tanks in DC and hang out at the panel and fit in for five minutes. But I feel weird and I want to get out of there. All right. I just do. I get imposter syndrome. fast. The people that just do that all the time, it is a bubble mm-hmm. and you do have to do certain things to stay in that social strata. And it does have its own culture around it and it insulates you from everything that else is happening. And I think where the David Brooks stuff falls short and I, I, I I'm not going to ding him because I think he is trying to be honest and do reflection there. The problem is there were people telling you don't do this. And there were people telling you like, no, there's there's this aggrieved people out here. But then at the same time, we got to turn around and go, well, you can't just reward grievance and you can't no. just re- reward reactionary. And I think where the what the Brooks piece showed for folks that didn't read it, we will link to it. You still are just getting that same argument going again over the Brooks piece about we shouldn't have had this argument to start with. And it just rekindles the same argument again. Right. Because you can't pat grievance on the head. That's never going to work. But at the same time, doing that and not doing it makes it worse. I don't have a good answer for that, Dennis. Do you? I don't have an easy answer. I think part of it is we need to learn to listen to one another. I mean, I think a lot of it, you don't you don't want to reward grievance, but you also have to acknowledge it's there. And that there are people that are upset, people that don't feel that they are part of what, you know, that they can make it in America anymore or that they feel left on the outside. I think we have to find ways of listening and and trying to reach out in various ways. And it doesn't mean agreeing with everything that someone says, but it does mean um, trying to be more aware of what's going on and you kind of brought up a little bit about um conservatism and as someone on the center right one of the things that i've been in some ways frustrated about is that i think the center right as much doesn't also want to understand in a lot of ways why this happened why did the republican party all of a sudden just decide to follow someone like trump and it's again because I think a lot of people, especially in in the Republican Party, didn't listen to the people. I, I think they had their ideas, they had their beliefs and how the economy, how society worked, but they weren't seeing how people were living, and then trying to respond to that. And that doesn't mean that they have to, you know, give up what they believe and become Democrats or something. Um, to answer these questions, but you have to at least ad- admit that these questions exist. And I think too often we didn't. And what happened then is that people lost hope. Um, I mean, there's a reason that we've gone from a party uh, where you had someone like Ronald Reagan, who I think exuded hope, um, not just optimism, but I think hope, to someone like Donald Trump, who is not hopeful, who is very cynical and who is very dark. And um, that didn't happen by accident. It, it happened partially because people weren't paying attention. And it's people within the Republican Party, but it's also people in the wider culture, Democrats, all of that. 
is when we only focus and when we live in a bubble, we shouldn't be shocked when people outside the bubble start to react and react in a bad way. Sounders joining us. I forget who first wrote it. I'm going to crib it. So credit to whoever said this first. But um, conservatives and the and our progressive friends talk past each other on a lot of stuff where they'd probably agree if they just take a second. Mm-hmm. And somebody pointed it out that a lot of what's going on in the undercurrents is conservatives are right about government being bad and the progressives are right about culture and class having a lot to do with our problems and they won't talk to each other about it. So now we have a really big government with everybody fighting over culture, class, and race. Mm -hmm. And that sure seems to be where we're kind of stuck at the moment. I, I, um, my, my friend Brent O'Rell put out a tweet the other day and he, he, he said, you know, and he's older now, he's, you know, 10 years older than us, give or take. And he's, he's like, I never thought, we'd be dealing with racism and these things again, like we have been the last five years or so. And it's getting worse in a lot of ways and anti-Semitism and things like this. What do you ascribe that to? I know we've kind of been putting it on social media and culture and just like, Hey, we can see more of it there. They have platforms now. That's part of it. What do you attribute this to? Because it does feel like it's getting worse and it seems like there's too many people still head padding this mess instead of wanting to deal with it, what do you stick it to? Why does it seem like it's getting worse? Are we just seeing it more in social media or are people digging in on some really bad stuff that they shouldn't believe in? I think people are digging in on some bad stuff. It's tribalism. It's the sense that um, there is this side, there is that side, and I'm going to dig in on my side um, that we're no longer have kind of shared values in some ways that says that this is something that we believe is right, or this is something we believe is wrong. Um, I also think it's a bit of a a sense of, and I don't know, I hopefully this doesn't come off, come across as a cheap shot, but I think for, especially for people on the, the right, there have been for many years, people that were progressives that were always calling every conservative for any reason a racist um and i think for some some of them they just decide okay well if you're going to think i'm a racist i'm just going to be that and so i think that's part of the thing um but i also think it's a sense of just not i think that there's also been much more a sense of, of a permission culture now that there we're in the past you know, 20 years ago, when, when I think Trent Lott said something that to this day, I don't know if he meant it what, the way he said it about um, Strom Thurmond, or he was just being just, you know, stumbling over his words, but he basically lost his leadership because of something he said that sounded like in support of segregation. We don't have that type of a culture anymore that, you know, you, you can judge whether that was an overreaction, but I think the 
the belief was that that was wrong or something wasn't right about it. And I think now, I think we've become so entrenched in our beliefs and so tribal in our beliefs and so polarized that the our side, either side doesn't want to admit that they could be wrong and they don't want to want to uh, basically go after someone on their side that may have said something wrong. And so that has allowed things like racism, I think, to fester a lot more. Um, you know, especially on social media now, you just see a lot more misogyny and um, that I never saw before. Um, I just think that we have this this kind of culture and it kind of leads back to the whole thing of if you don't have hope, if you don't believe that there can be a better future for everyone, if you only see future um, as kind of this, you know, either living in a bubble or seeing, or kind of politics of resentment, it just becomes this kind of dog eat dog and it's a tribal thing and you end up with, you know, things like what we saw in, in, in Montgomery, Alabama, where whites and blacks are just beating up on each other. Yeah. Dennis Sanders joining us. You know what I've tried to do is, you know, I <laughs> prejudice is a wide spectrum. Racism mm-hmm. is really dark. Something's wrong with broken in your soul and we can't fix that sort of thing. So I, I try to be careful with my wording on things like that. Throwing around words like racist and bigot and things like mm-hmm. that. I, I try to be slow and cautious on it. But what I've come to do is I try to distill it this way. And I just say, look, America, uniquely among the world, is a really big, pluralistic, diverse country. And it's getting more so. All you have to do is go read the last census. It's getting more diverse. You're either okay with that or you're not. And so much of this stuff, when I really get in a tough spot with, okay, I was like, is this person okay with having a big, pluralistic, diverse society where everybody has as much freedom as possible? That's now my standard that I apply. You're either okay with that or you're not. And it's going to happen whether those people like it or not that are against it. That's the standard now. It's like, are you okay with that? And I've gotten to where I just want to start blatantly asking people, like, are you okay with us having a diverse, pluralistic society? Because it's going to be whether you like it or not. So folks either got to adapt to that or you don't. And I think people are realizing this country is diversifying and the people that can't handle it are getting louder about it. And because I think it's setting in that, no, it's not that way. And I think a lot of folks, they're just starting to realize that their corner of the world isn't as big as they thought it was. But that's the standard I'm applying now. I'll give you the last thought on it. Yeah, I think that there is something to that. I I think... And I think, though, it brings up the other question, though, is how do we deal with that? Because I think too often what happens, though, is that we just kind of leave it at, well, you're a bigot, and that's it. And we don't want to have anything to do with you. So, and I don't think that that's helpful, um, especially if they are, this is a growing number of people out there. So, we can't kind of ignore them. We can't, as you said, pat them on the head. But I think we have to listen to them. And I think we have to find ways of helping them to understand what does it mean that America in some ways has always been a, a, a pluralistic society, more so than in many other nations, and that they're going to be okay. That, you know, 
this is not going to be some kind of, you know, that their lives are in danger or something. Um, will that work? I don't know. But I think that we have to kind of, we have to do more than simply kind of just say that people are bigots and shut them out. Um, because I think that approach isn't working, it hasn't worked. And I think it, it can it can kind of exacerbate the problem. Um, and again, I'm not certain how it will work. And um, will it change minds? I don't know. But maybe it's my sense of hope that I want to believe people can and that people can change and people can change their minds. Because if we don't people can change their minds, then we're just basically back to where we started living without hope. Yeah, Dennis Saunders joining us. I, I think you give them one or two chances. And then again, I don't I don't know where the line is, but if, if people just refuse to to lay down the really nasty stuff, you just can't you just can't be around it anymore. No, you can't. So it, it's tough in the social media age, but look, Social media, people tell you a lot about themselves. We're just going to have to start believing folks, I guess. Dennis Sanders joining us. We love having these kind of conversations with him. That's why we keep having him on. He does this all the time, though. He writes about it. He talks about it. Has podcasts. Has You have you have various branding of yourself. Walk us through it all for folks that, so they can find you and keep up with you until we get you back on Hertel again, my friend. Sure. Um, I do a podcast called Church in Maine, and that focuses on religion um, and 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 culture and politics. And you can find that at um, churchinmaine, all one word, dot org, or uh, churchinmaine.substack.com. Um, and then I also have another another substack that just deals with um, that, where I put most of my writing. And that one is um, called um, um, Infinite Charity, um, or Infinite Diversity, and infinite charity and you can find that at infinite charity on one word dot substack dot com um and so you can find me at both of those places uh read my writings and kind of follow from there yeah we're going to link to both of them make sure you subscribe to his stuff i do i appreciate him dennis saunders we'll have you back real soon my friend take care all right take care see ya thank you sir All the music on her tell is provided under a creative content license from monstercat.com. Save big on brunch for mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Folks, if you've listened to the Herd Tell program, you've heard our friend Gabriella Hoffman, but you need to make sure you're checking out her podcast, District of Conservation. It's a podcast exploring the nuances of true conservation efforts from D.C. and beyond. From topic discussions to exclusive interviews with conservation and energy newsmakers, Gabriella keeps listeners appraised of the latest news stories while elevating important voices. Listen to the District of Conservation on Apple Podcasts or wherever podcasts are played. Folks, you've heard of Ethan Brown on the Hurt Tell Show a couple of different times, but if you're interested 
and learning about how to discuss things like climate change without all the politics and doom and gloom, head over to his podcast, The Sweaty Penguin. Sweaty Penguin is a late-night comedy-style climate podcast working to add nuance, critical thinking, humor, and hope to the climate conversation. they got over 100 episodes already, breaking down weekly news stories and specific topics, from the vanilla to the ADHD to the international accountability to orangutans. Yes, I know, it's a comedy thing, so just go with it. But each time, exploring different ways we can make progress on these issues while still helping the economy, health, security, and everything else we care about. Feel overwhelmed, exhausted, or excluded by today's climate change discourse? This is the podcast for you. Find the Sweaty Penguin wherever you get your podcasts or at www.thesweatypenguin.com.